You're listening to Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. I'm Troy Kitch. Hurricane Irene traveled up the eastern seaboard last week and into the weekend. And while it thankfully wasn't as powerful as we feared it might be, it still left behind a lot of damage, flooding, and destruction. This was the sixth tropical storm of the season, joining Arlene, Brett, Cindy, Don, and Emily. And it likely won't be the last. Earlier this month, NOAA's Climate Prediction Center, part of NOAA's National Weather Service, issued an update to its Atlantic hurricane season outlook. The peak of this season runs from August to October. The gist of the updated forecast, conditions are right for an above-normal hurricane season. Now, back in May, the Climate Prediction Center said that the probability for an above-average season was 65%. The new estimate is 85%. Added to this, the expected number of named storms is now set at somewhere between 14 and 19. And that's up from the original outlook of 12 to 18 storms. And 7 to 10 of those named storms are expected to develop into hurricanes. And that's up from the original forecast of 6 to 10 hurricanes. And last but not least, of these 6 to 10 hurricanes, between 3 and 5 of them could develop into major hurricanes with winds of at least 111 miles per hour. You'll have a link in our show notes for you to read more about the how and why behind the revised hurricane season outlook. But for the remainder of the show, I want to revisit a 2009 episode of this podcast about the National Ocean Service's role before hurricanes hit the coast, when they hit, and long after the storms pass. Now, you're going to hear a lot of different web addresses in this report, but don't worry about writing anything down. You can get all the links on our website at oceanservice.noaa.gov. So let's begin. Now, one critical service that the NOS provides is near real-time ocean and weather observations at locations affected by tropical storms. That comes from the National Water Level Observation Network. This network is made up of over 200 stations around the country that continuously monitor water levels. And I want to highlight one component of this network in particular, because it's particularly relevant to the discussion about hurricanes. Last year, NOS completed constructing four what are known as Sentinels of the Coast, And these hardened structures are positioned out in the ocean, out in the Gulf of Mexico, to collect and send out real-time water level and weather observations, and they're made tough. They're designed to withstand wind and wave action from up to Category 4 hurricanes so they can keep gathering water and weather data, even in the harshest conditions. So why is all this water level monitoring important? Well, as we all know, during coastal storms, water levels can rise to flood levels pretty fast. So it's of course good to know and predict just how high these water levels are going to get. This kind of storm surge information is critical for emergency preparedness. Let's take an example. Louisiana depends on this information because the state is highly susceptible to many natural hazards, things like hurricanes and storm surge flooding. Well, the St. Charles Parish Water Level Monitoring System, and that's a NOAA observing system partner in the Gulf region, provides near-real-time water data to decision-makers in the parish's emergency operation center during storms. Emergency managers use this to get a clearer picture of storm surge flooding areas, and that's key for decision-making regarding evacuation routes, opening and closing of locks and dams, and when to make public warnings. And if you're wondering if you can see the data collected from the National Water Level Observation Network, well, yes, you can. It's all at tidesandcurrents.noaa.gov. And while you're there, you may want to check out an important product created from the data collected by the network. It's called the Storm Quick Look. 
And as the name suggests, when a tropical storm forms, the quick look provides a real-time view of a storm's impacts on coastal stormwater levels, winds, and barometric levels. It's mostly used as a decision support tool by federal, state, and local emergency managers to assist evacuation and road closing decisions, but you too can see the data to monitor and prepare for storm conditions. First of the reports arrive about 24 to 48 hours before a storm is projected to make landfall, and they continue to come out until the coastal impacts of the storm have receded, and that's sometimes well after the storm has passed. The report also provides details about the storm tide associated with the storm, and that's the sum of the surge of the water because of the storm, added to the astronomical tides, added to the pre-storm high water level conditions. And if you consider that most people in the U.S. live along the coast in places less than 10 feet above sea level, you can see why this is good info to know. Storm tides are the number one cause of storm damage. So the National Water Level Observation Network and everything we just talked about is from NOS's Center for Operational Oceanographic Products and Services. And again, you can find that at tidesandcurrents.noaa.gov. Now let's take a look at what's going on after a storm hits. Now in addition to the continuing monitoring of water level and weather observations we just talked about, the NOS also plays a lead role in navigational surveys, aerial photography, and hazardous spill response. Now let's take a look at navigational surveys first. After a hurricane strikes, the Office of Coast Survey dispatches emergency navigation response teams to the site to help get ports and waterways back open as fast as possible. They use sonar and divers to check for obstructions and hazards to navigation. Now this work is critical. Not only does it help to get our waterways and ports flowing again, and that helps supplies get to the people who need them, it also helps to get commerce back up and running in the region. And while these teams are out doing their work, they're also collecting data that they'll use to update navigational charts that mariners rely on. And you can get those charts online for free. They're at www.nauticalcharts.noaa.gov. Now next up, let's talk about aerial surveys. Many people don't know this, but the Ocean Service begins flying survey missions to take pictures of coastal areas hit by a hurricane just days after the storm strikes. Now this service is provided by the National Geodetic Survey. To give you an idea how it works, let's look back at a hurricane we all know about, Hurricane Katrina. The day after Katrina hit the Gulf Coast in 2005, NOAA's National Geodetic Survey began flying photo survey missions to assess the damage. The NGS then made the photographs available on the internet to help those most affected by the hurricane find out if their homes, businesses, and properties had been damaged or destroyed. Nearly 5 million photos were downloaded daily from NOAA websites in a one-week period after Katrina, and companies like Google Earth, Globe Explorer, and Telescience integrated this imagery into their web service. And also insurance companies began using the photos to help resolve claims, and the oil and gas industry used the images to speed rebuilding their facilities. In total, NGS collected over 8,300 images during these missions, and as with most of the products and services we're talking about today, you can see the photos taken after Katrina and following major storms up through the end of last year's hurricane season. They're all online at ngs.woc.noaa.gov slash eri underscore page. And that's kind of an unfriendly URL, so remember that you can go to oceanservice.noaa.gov to get a link directly to this page. And finally, the NOS Office of Response and Restoration plays a major role after a hurricane hits by responding to hazardous material spills. Staff from this office work with partners, the main one being the U.S. Coast Guard, 
to survey vessels, pipelines, wells, or containers that may be leaking hazardous fuel, oil, or chemicals because of the hurricane. And they fly on missions to locate and track offshore sources of spills. Now this data is then combined with current weather and water conditions to develop computer models to help predict spill movement, and that helps figure out where the greatest pollution threats are likely to occur. Added to this, the office lends a hand with vessel salvage, shoreline cleanup, and helping to understand how spills are going to affect natural resources in the region. And the office's team of scientists and economists are also involved with assessing injuries done to natural resources caused by the spills and the groundings and debris in the area. Response and Restoration works with other agencies and industry to focus on restoration, to expedite the restoration, and that's good not only for the natural resources that were injured, but also for the people that live there. And last but not least, the office is responsible for mapping and surveying marine debris. If you've seen photos of the unbelievable amount of trash and debris along the coast following a major hurricane, you know that this is a huge task. Now I want to highlight one area specifically, the Gulf of Mexico. As you probably know, this is one of the main areas affected by hurricanes in the U.S., and it's been a major focus of response and restoration activity for many years. If you live in the Gulf region, be sure to check out gulfofmexico.marinedebris.noaa.gov. This will give you a good idea of the extent of marine debris in the region from the hurricanes that have hit the region over the past three years, and it points to other resources to get Gulf Storm information. It's a great resource. And speaking of the Gulf, Response and Restoration is also leading the development of a new 15,000-square-foot hurricane-hardened disaster response center. That's going to be in Mobile, Alabama and it's slated to open in 2011. Now given how vulnerable this region is to hurricanes, the new center is going to be a huge step forward in coordinated emergency management when future storms hit. So we'll have more on that in the future once construction is completed. But for now, if you're looking for more information on the many tasks handled by the Office of Response and Restoration, you can start your journey over at response.restoration.noaa.gov. So we know that the Ocean Service plays a big role in the immediate aftermath of a hurricane, but the work doesn't stop there. For many weeks, months, and even years after a hurricane hits the shores, the work continues to better understand the effect of the hurricane in recovery planning and in monitoring the effects of contaminants released from the storm on the environment. So let's start by looking at activities of the NOAA Coastal Services Center. Now long after a storm strikes, there are many big questions that need answered. What is the economic impact of the storm? What's the ecological impact or the cost to the environment? Where is the debris concentrated? How much wetlands were lost? Now, Coastal Services Center experts help answer these questions by crunching data and generating maps and detailed reports. These products can include everything from aerial imagery of the affected region before and after the storm, digital elevation data to measure how the coastline changed as a result of the storm, to long-term recovery plans. It's all rolled into what the Coastal Services Center calls the Digital Coast, and you can learn more about it at www.csc.noaa.gov slash digital coast. Now there's a lot to Digital Coast, and the tools available cover much, much more than just long-term hurricane response, but I want to highlight one very cool hurricane-related product produced by this office. It's called Historical Hurricane Tracks. This tool helps get a quick picture of coastal areas with the greatest frequency of hurricanes and tropical storms. And that historical snapshot can help community members and local emergency managers develop better plans for storm preparation and recovery. The Coastal Services Center isn't the only office with long-term recovery planning duties. 
The NOS Office of Ocean and Coastal Resource Management is also involved in the effort. And this office is also especially involved with decision-making before storms hit. It's through a program called NOAA Coastal Zone Management, or CZM for short. The CZM program works with states to help coastal communities decide things like where to place buildings and roads to reduce loss of life and property from storms. In Texas, for example, CZM funding is helping the state map hazardous areas throughout the Texas coastal zone, and that helps identify places that are especially vulnerable to hurricanes. You can find out more about coastal zone management at coastalmanagement.noaa.gov. And the final office we're going to talk about today is NOAA's National Status and Trends Program. It's part of the NOS National Centers for Coastal Ocean Science. Now, we talked about the impact of the environment to commerce and to our coastlines. What about the long-term effect of the contaminants released during a hurricane on our coastal waters and estuaries? Or what about human health risks from eating fish and shellfish in the area? Well, that's the main concern of this program. Even after the big fuel, oil, or other chemical spills are cleaned up after a hurricane, contamination can still be a big problem for many, many years. National status and trend experts are key to figuring out how big the problem is, not only in hurricane-ravaged areas, but in coastal regions around the country. They do the job by monitoring sediments, tissues of shellfish like oysters and mussels, and by sampling the water. They've been doing this for a long time, for decades. In fact, it's the only long-term coastal and estuary contaminant monitoring effort in the entire United States. Now, because they have so many years of data from sites around the country, they have a unique window over time to the contaminant levels in many areas. And as you can imagine, this comes in handy when trying to figure out the impact of contaminants following a hurricane. And there you have it. The Ocean Service's roles in hurricane response, ranging from ocean and weather observations all the way to sampling shellfish for contaminants. Now, if you go to our website at oceanservice.noaa.gov, you'll get an accompanying story about our hurricane response activities and all the links we've referenced today. You can also check out some specific stats and details related to the Ocean Service's role in responding to Hurricane Irene. Well, we've covered a lot of ground. Our main goal here is to let you know that this information is out there, it's online, and it's freely available. Well, let's end how we began with a reminder that hurricane season runs through the end of November. The peak times are between August and October. And regardless of what the NOAA forecasts predict for the season, the main thing to keep in mind is that it's time to think about preparation and preparedness. And that's all for this episode. If you have any questions about this week's podcast, about the National Ocean Service, or about our ocean, write us at nos.info at noaa.gov. This is Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. We'll be back in two weeks 